time, as we usually do at this time on a Friday morning, to head over to the US, the east coast of the United States, where Celeste Katzmaston is our guest. Celeste, good morning or good evening, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Now, there's a lot to talk about, but Jeffrey has just texted in, and I'll ask this question of you. Um, Is the small boutique Paradise Nightclub on Commonwealth Avenue, firstly, is that still going? I don't know whether you're a nightlife-type person like that. And does it still host Australian bands, which is where I was fortunate to see the church and real life on their US tour in 1984 when I was living in Boston after Australia 2's win uh, in Newport, Rhode Island at the America's Cup in 1983. Jeffrey loves your reports from Boston because he loves the city of Boston, just as I do and you do. Uh, do you remember or do you know about the Paradise Nightclub? It is nearly 40 years ago. It could be gone from now. I don't know. I do remember the Paradise Nightclub. Ooh. There were a few clubs that had some really great uh, live acts. I'm trying to think now. The Paradise was one of them. Um, there was the Middle East was another one. I think uh, Roxy maybe. Um, I have to be honest with you. In the past couple of years, I have not been going. We did have tickets for one live show. We ended up not going just because the COVID sure. was getting bad at the time. But uh, I do I do remember the uh, the Paradise, and I do remember it as one of the clubs that had um, a lot of great live music in Boston. Fantastic. Thank you very much. All right, let's move to the biggest. Well, it is kind of the biggest story, and it to me it's kind of it's a prism by how a prism by how people look at the US at the moment, and that's the investigation, the panel going into investigating into the January sixth attack on the Capitol. So, there are going to be people who look at the evidence, make up their mind, and think that this was an attempt to basically basically pervert the course of justice, as it were, or to make sure that the will of the people was not carried out. And then there are going to be people who think no matter what evidence shows that that was the intent of the administration, they simply, even if they believe it, they just won't bother to accept it. Is that sort of the way that it's sort of turning out at the moment? Yeah, I think that that in some cases this is preaching to the choir, that people who are watching these uh, watching these hearings and the footage and hearing the testimony, and it, it is quite a slick production. It is not totally made for TV, but it definitely doesn't have the sort of nitty-gritty um, paper shuffling and somber faces that you see in a typical congressional hearing. This is definitely meant to... Um, attract viewers and and to sort of rivet people with with what's uh, being presented um at the same time interestingly enough um the house speaker kevin mccarthy who's a um excuse me the uh house minority leader i should say uh kevin mccarthy uh, who leads the republicans pulled all his people off the panel so essentially there are two republicans on there uh both of them are not trump supporters and so you are not hearing sort of any um quote-unquote pushback or defense or counter-programming from the the sort of Trump side of this equation, which is uh, 
by design. They figured if they ignored the thing, uh, if they didn't talk about it, if they didn't participate in it, they could just dismiss it and say, well, this is just a bunch of Trump haters putting on a show for people who hate Trump and it doesn't mean anything. But apparently Donald Trump himself is getting kind of mad about this and saying, well, hey, how come nobody's sticking up for me on this panel? Um, When this was sort of the plan all along to not participate in the thing and therefore delegitimize it. Yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? That, you know, it's that whole thing about you've got to be in the room where it happens, that, you know, decisions are made by those who show up. Yes, you might think, or some people might think, well, it's just this Trump bashing exercise. But if they choose not to take part, they're pretty impotent in this. They need to be there and asking questions and trying to, you know, sort of dampen down. Um, what other people are saying, they need, you know, the Republicans, if they truly believe that uh, President Trump did nothing wrong, they need to be there on that panel saying it, don't they? Well, they're not. I mean, yeah. the bottom line is they're not. There are two Republicans on the thing, um, Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger, and neither of them are Trump fans. And they are certainly not there for the purpose of of holding up Donald Trump's end of the conversation in his absence or, or otherwise. It's, it's just not playing out that way. Okay. Uh, however, there's also this other part of it, which is that some people think that President Trump's attempts to I suppose, overturn the election result, went no further than just standing up and saying, well, you know, we we won and anyone who said we didn't won, well, they're hiding votes and all this sort of stuff. That's one thing. We're actually seeing evidence that it went much further than that, that more than just him saying, I won, and uh, he actually did make attempts to overturn the result, didn't he? Beyond just getting Mike Pence not to certify it. Yeah, in addition to the the extraordinary pressure directly on Mike Pence and indirectly on Mike Pence, what we've been hearing during the testimony are uh, state officials coming forward, people from uh, pivotal states like Georgia and Arizona saying that they were directly pressured by the White House to uh, go along with this idea that there was uh, a degree of fraud that could have changed the outcome to quote unquote find votes to establish an alternate slate of electors who would support Trump in the electoral college count uh, after the uh, the votes that had come in through the electoral college through the actual process were thrown out or or somehow stricken out of the record. Lots and lots of things going on. Pressure. Uh, the newest hearings are pressure on the Justice Department and the top officials at the time of the Justice Department to sort of go along with what has been called now the big lie. Mm. Um, so th- it was not just Donald Trump giving a speech and saying, you know, fight like hell or we won't have a country anymore and, and slogans like that that he he you know put out there all the time, but rather uh, a sustained uh person-specific, multi-state effort to change the outcome of the election. So how is the panel, is the panel when they finally hand down their, you know, their final report, and I'm not quite sure when that would be, how are they going to convince people who are Donald Trump supporters that, yes, he was making a sustained effort to overturn the democratic result of an election? Uh, for died in the wool, die hard Trump supporters, they're not. 
there's nothing they can say. There's nothing they can show. There's nothing they can do. Uh, the election was rigged in the minds of these people. Uh, They're going to hold on to that false belief, and there is nothing anybody can do to change their minds. What about other people then? I mean, do you think that this is going to have an effect on whether Trump runs again in 2024? I think that some of this, uh, you know, again, the the jury's still out uh, literally and figuratively on on a lot of this stuff regarding uh, the former president. But yeah, if there were people who were on the fence, and those are always the people who matter a lot, these sort of independent voters or swing voters, you can predict generally, you can predict the behavior of, of longtime party stalwarts or predict behavior by what people did in the last few elections. But if you have new people coming in, uh, who haven't voted before, people who are motivated to register to vote, uh, people who are participating for the first time because they just became citizens, things like that, then, you know, the people that are sort of in the middle or on the margins, uh, those are the people that uh, it's sort of mo- most important to reach. And that goes for both sides. Both sides are trying to capture the the hearts and minds and votes of those people. And those are the people that, you know, are sort of really the focus here, um, people who can be swayed, because there are a lot of people in this country who mm-hmm. already think what they think and are not yeah. going to change their minds. Yeah. So, I mean, Trump says it was rigged. And he said that about just about every election he was involved in, even the ones that he won. Why is it that people are happy to believe that with zero evidence? Because, I mean, that election was held in November last year. There has been no evidence whatsoever to show that any rigging took place, not only this time, but the last election or any of the primaries or caucuses he was involved with, that he's also said some of that was rigged. Why are people still so absolutely certain that it happened without any evidence whatsoever and people have been looking into it and have found nothing part of it is the messenger i think there are some people who just really like donald trump he said and did things that they really liked he speaks to a certain brand of of i don't know you can call it patriotism you can call it nationalism you can call it jingoism or something you can call it lots of things but people trust him and like him as a messenger and that means that they are more willing to accept things that he says even if they're not quite sure about them uh independently uh, the other thing is that this country has an issue with uh, broadly with trust in institutions, trust in government, trust in journalism and the media, uh, trust in the court system. I think for for quite a while, the institution with the greatest degree of trust has been the military. But, you know, these things change over time. And I think we're at a point in in U.S. history and in U.S. public life where we do see this serious erosion of faith in institutions, and that includes the government at large. That includes the people who administer elections. How do you know they're telling you the truth? Maybe it's fixed. Maybe the whole game is rigged. Um, You know, this country is going through some tough economic times. We've uh, had uh, horrific losses from the pandemic, both in terms of human life and in terms of uh, the economy and so on. People are having a tough time. And when people feel beat down in this way, they're going to have less faith in the institutions that they believe have put them in this position. So what happens next for the January 6th panel? What are they doing now? They've actually extended the hearings. They do have a report, a full report to put out later this week, but they have extended the hearings because they said they have gotten uh, more information. I believe some of that revolves around documentary footage that was taken uh, around the time of the insurrection. So they've actually extended the hearings out to maybe one or two more going into July, and then we'll see what happens. And what's the ultimate 
end game of this. They will put out a report, presumably, that will lay blame at the feet, possibly, of the President, or they will detail everything that happened that day. What's going to happen? Will anyone charges be laid? Or what goes on? Yeah, I mean, I don't think this is like a criminal proceeding. This is a civil proceeding, and it's not a court proceeding. It's a congressional proceeding. So there is a limit to uh, what's going to happen here. I don't think you see people being sort of hauled off to prison as a result of this. But, you know, they may ask for reforms. Uh, it's certainly the, the public image, the public perception among people who can be influenced by uh, anything that comes out in these hearings uh, could uh, make a difference. Uh, you know, is there a question of whether Donald Trump, uh, you know, sort of deliberately sought to undermine uh, the the bedrock of how we run elections in this country? Yeah, I mean, that's something that's right on the table. But so in terms of somebody going directly to jail and not collecting $200. I don't think that's quite the way this works, but I mean, it could have much longer term ramifications for reform and for public perception of, of what happened uh, yeah. during this unfortunate period. But I find this incredible. And, you know, you talk about the undermining of institutions, the undermining of elections and politicians, and yet people are who don't like that are still willing to believe the person who's doing the undermining. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, again, that's there are we're watching the midterm elections now as we go state by state by state through the cycle and some Trump backed candidates are winning and some of them are losing. So that's a good barometer, I think, more so than, you know, people's reaction to the uh, to the hearings themselves. That's a really good barometer of how much control Donald Trump has over uh, the Republican Party and over electoral politics and uh the composition of our legislatures in general. Does he matter anymore? Do people still want what he's selling or do they think he's going too far? Are they bored with it? They want something new. Um, there are some people who say that the Trumpism movement will go on, but it doesn't need him anymore. And in fact, he's just um, a distraction now. He's just sort of a, you know, guy, old man yelling at cloud type of thing. And you know, right. he needs to, yeah. he needs to get out of the way. In the meantime, of course, Americans had a long weekend this week with the Juneteenth holiday, which uh, commemorates in 1865, June 19, a couple of years after the Emancipation Proclamation, the final slaves were freed. They were in Texas. Now, this is it's an, it's a kind of a government holiday. It's not really a national holiday, is it? Like, Who gets the day off on Juneteenth? Yeah, well, that's been that's been kind of the issue. It's a federal holiday, which means federal uh, employees get off, uh, and schools. Well, schools I think would be mostly closed anyway. Um, but the issue has become now whether the states recognize it as a holiday that would mean closing government offices, giving state employees the day off, and so on. And only about half are doing that right now. Uh, 24 states and uh, the District of Columbia are doing that. But other states have been uh, hesitant to do it or are waiting to do it. Um, part of that is an economic decision. You know, do another holiday uh, where state employees have uh, get paid but don't have to work costs money. There, There is a, an issue, a financial aspect to this. Um, but some people are saying that it's a matter of of equality and of recognizing an important moment in our history, uh, not just on the calendar by mm. giving people the freedom to be off that day from work and to commemorate it in any way that's meaningful to them. 
If anything, it reminds me of another public holiday, which was the Martin Luther King Day, and how grudging some states were in allowing people that day off. And it took a lot of effort from a lot of states. I think was Arizona the final one, and they lost major sporting events. I think the Super Bowl was taken away because they hadn't uh, extended the the holiday. So gradually that happened. Do you think we're looking at the same thing with the Juneteenth? And I wonder what connection there is with the Martin Luther King Day and Juneteenth. I'm not quite sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, the introduction of a new holiday, uh, you know, there are schedules that are made far, far in advance. And uh, as I said, this is an economic decision, paying an entire state workforce for a day that they don't actually do any work. People are not getting the services that they expect of the state government that day. Uh, you know, all of that is understandable. But that said, I think that people have uh, raised a legitimate question when they say, OK, the, this has been declared a federal holiday of the standing of any other federal holiday, President's Day or Thanksgiving Day or something like that, you know, why is it being treated differently? Is it because of what the holiday commemorates? Yes. Is it because of who the holiday commemorates? I'm sure. uh, is it because it's a part of our history that we don't really want to talk exactly. about? That's, you know, sort of nothing to celebrate. It's because only a certain segment of the people, you know, people of color largely, um, find this holiday to be especially meaningful. So there's lots of reasons. But uh, if it's a federal holiday on the books, equal by law to any other federal holiday, why are the states treating it differently? That's a fair question. Yes, all righty. Celeste Katzmaston is our guest in Boston. Well, now, I wonder whether this is going to have any effect in Australia as well, but there is a particular type of e-cigarette that has now been banned, this is the Juul cigarettes, uh, have been banned by the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration. There are many different types of e-cigarettes. What is the problem with these, this particular one? Well, in this case, Juul, which makes up a huge uh, market share of e-cigarettes or, or vape products that are sold over the counter here in the U.S., uh, basically came up and was trying to... Um, they wanted to say that it was safe, if not healthy, but safe for people to use. And they just didn't feel that there was enough evidence presented uh, to to show that. Uh, at the same time, a lot of uh, young people are very uh, are very attached to this brand. And we're talking about not only even high school kids, but middle school kids who are using this um, and this is a nicotine delivery device, essentially. And so uh, there are lots of concerns about young people using nicotine and what that does for uh, their health, for their brain development, what kinds of chemicals are in there, both that we know about and that haven't been in the past disclosed. And so the FDA is just saying, look, there's just not enough information, especially with a product that is so uh, popular and may have even been marketed towards young people mm -hmm. that we can't allow it on the market. So from what I understand, um, those products are coming off the shelves now. Interesting. Because it's not legal in Australia, and yet you see people vaping everywhere. Uh, look, the World Cup is coming up in Qatar later this year. Australia is qualified. I'm not quite sure whether you've caught up with that news, but we're all pretty excited about it when that happened last week. However, we can also look four years in advance to the next World Cup, which is in Canada, the US and Mexico, and it is coming to Boston. And I'm sure you'll be one of the first people in line <laughs> to get a ticket. Oh, I'm in line right now, actually. Oh, good, yeah. 
Um, yeah, we have not had a World Cup here since uh, 1994, uh, which was played at what was called the Old Foxborough Stadium, which is now uh, going to be played at Gillette Stadium. And yeah, this is a big deal. I mean, we understand, even though Americans are not as uh, perhaps attached to soccer, football, whatever you want to call it, uh, as we are to other sports like basketball, baseball, uh, that kind of thing. We get that soccer is a huge deal. And what we mean by that is that there is big money in soccer. And so, yeah, people very excited for this. It's you know good international attention, we hope. Uh, you know, some people are saying this is the equivalent of getting the Olympics, the Olympic mm-hmm. Games or some of the Olympic Games. So, uh, yeah, very, very big deal. Lots of preparation. I think we're going to need those four years to to get ready for this. Well, you'll be getting ready for the Rugby Union World Cup, which is coming your way in <laughs> 2031 as well, by the way. And I'm hopefully... I'm, I'm also in line for that one. Oh, well, good, because look, it is a fantastic experience to go to a World Cup, even if you... If even if you don't really... You're not really interested in the sport, I suppose, because at a, a soccer match or a rugby match... Everyone is, it's not just half and half or everyone, you know, like uh, cheering for one team. It is this huge mix of a whole lot of people from all over the world. Yes, there'll be a lot of, I'm, I don't even know. I think last time in Boston it was, uh, I think um, Ireland might have played there. I'm not sure, which would make sense. Um, but if you get a team like that there, you know, the whole city gets behind it. It's, it is a great experience and you have the, if you get the chance to go, I, I really urge you, even though it is four years from now. And finally, so you need something to look forward to. You need something to be optimistic about, Celeste. I do, I do. And uh, as, as we were discussing, there is actually a new study out from uh, Harvard, from the Chan School of Public Health, that says that uh, optimistic women live longer. So I think you, you've given me good advice about, about looking forward to things, and yeah. I will take it to heart. Why do optimistic women live longer? Well, it's a it's a an interesting question. They found that um, you know the most optimistic people were actually uh, about living about five percent longer, or something like four between four and five years longer. I mean, it has to do. There's lots of things. It might be uh, something that uh, you know happens with your brain, your brain health. Um, you know, people associate. Uh, eating well and exercising and all that stuff with longer lifespan. And that's a part of it. But um, there is, you know, definitely some impact here when it comes to having sort of a positive attitude, not being sort of despondent, miserable and and giving up. They don't know everything about it, of course, just yet. But, um, you know, it's yeah. definitely worth having a positive attitude from what this study says, uh, because it can give you greater longevity. Hmm. It's interesting because do you think people are optimistic these days in the US? No, no, I don't. I mean, uh, not from what I can tell, but uh, maybe optimistic in the sense that there's nowhere to go but up. Mm, That's something. (laughs) Well, what about this? John in Coburg says, I'm willing to bet that the states that celebrate Confederate History Month and observe a state holiday for Confederate Memorial Day Eight states, including Florida and Texas, don't give a public holiday for Juneteenth. I'll have to check to see which ones do, but John might be onto something there. 
yeah, there there could be some crossover there. Again, in some in some cases, it's possible that it's simply an economic consideration, mm-hmm. but uh, there there could be some some crossover there. Um, it, it would be interesting memories. to compare it with the, the yes. MLK holiday too. Exactly, long memories. I'm afraid, uh, Celeste. Thank you very much. As always, we'll talk to you again in a couple of weeks. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Celeste Katzmaston, in Boston. Hmm.